Well, welcome to Kelly Dry's latest session of our AdLaw podcast in video. And I'm Elisa Hudnick, I head up Kelly Dry's privacy practice. I am here by my with my esteemed colleague, Aaron Burstein. Hi, Aaron. Hello, good afternoon. So, Aaron, as I was thinking as we near the holidays, um, in my mind, I think if it's holidays, then clearly it's data breach season. What are you thinking? It seems to go like clockwork. I think you can look back at any number of private sector or, or national security related breaches, and they do seem to be timed fairly well with national holidays. I think it's probably more than a coincidence because um, attackers know that people are out of the office, staffs are thin, and it can be hard to muster a response to an incident effectively under those conditions. So um, I, I think you're right to note the holiday season and um, you know expect that if we haven't seen a, a um, larger breach than, than maybe we saw with the federal government over the last week or so, then um, there, there might be reason to expect something coming soon. Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, we have seen some breaches and they are just kind of coming, I think, rapid fire, which really made, I think, this podcast a good time to just have us maybe go through what are some of those top 10 data breach 101 things to keep top of mind. And so kind of maybe starting with the first timing, um, I was you know, just thinking through on this most recent breach, we got the news on late Friday night going into a holiday weekend. As you noted, people are thin, but it's all about when did you first learn of the breach? When did you first discover and what happens thereafter? Uh, any tips that you would have based on your experience with how do you manage the clock? Well, I think that part of managing the clock is knowing what the major milestones are that you need to meet um, under any relevant statutory obligations. And so that really, I think the key point in time is when will you need to notify either the first regulator or, or notify consumers? And as Many, many of us know um, the answer to that question depends on which state you're talking about. So um, it, it is often the case that you look to the most stringent timeline or the state with the strictest notification requirements and really start working from there. Um, I think it also that gives you a point in time from which to work backwards to figure out what needs to happen as you investigate the um, incident and get ready to notify. And so there are some things to build into that timeline, like working with a vendor to prepare notification letters and get those mailed out. So those are, I think, some of the major points on, on the timeline um, and things that, that I would start thinking about immediately or ideally before an incident happens. So the, the immediate and the ideal, I'm going to stick with that for a minute because you're, you're so right in that we start with, usually a client will say, when do I have to notify them? And we have our handy dandy charts and depending on which states, you know, the common denominator there and in terms of the timing. 
But often I think about when should you notify? Um, and if it's a breach that you think is really going to stand a chance of getting some, some decent media coverage, what we've seen is most media skewer the company for however many days it took to send the notice, right? You knew this and you waited to this long. So I, I always also try to think of that in, the, in discussing with clients on if this is very public, um, we, every hour really counts. And to your point with the vendor, to the extent the company can't do it internally and has to get that credit monitoring, that takes days. I mean, most of them require several business days in advance to be able to process that. So, you know, in your mind, you have your ideal timing and when you want to get that notice out. Um, and yet you got to build in that time. And this is assuming, you know, all the facts. So it, it's, it's one of those where everything, every minute really counts. And to your point, the more prep you do before you have a breach, the more you're just better able to utilize all of that time from when, from when you first discover. So maybe walk us through, client calls you, they think they may have a breach. What are those initial questions that you would ask them to tee up for you, to, to tee up answers for? Well, I, I think two or three main questions that I would start to ask are, um, one, essentially, are, are they going to be able to work with us um, as a firm? Um, can we proceed to work with them? And the reason that question's worth asking is that it goes to the issue of cybersecurity insurance. And a lot of companies have it. They might have considerations about the deductible they would need to pay in order to apply the coverage. And if they are covered, um, is there a panel of law firms with their carrier that they would likely need to choose from. So um, it, it's important to sort that out so that the client doesn't spend valuable hours discussing things with you when, you know, in the end, they may need to, to use a different firm. So it's in everyone's interest to figure that out first. And second, in all likelihood, they'll need some sort of uh, vendor to do forensic analysis or take a look at what happened with the incident? And so are, are they uh, ready to go with some potential choices? Do they need recommendations? And then, you know, related to the first question, do they want the firm to engage, uh, engage the forensic analyst? And that's something that is very typically done to have an outside law firm do the engagement and direct the, the uh, analysts work to help preserve attorney-client privilege. So I think those, those are some of the immediate questions. Um, I think it's also important to know what uh, is the core group or who is the core group that is running things internally and making decisions within the company so that um, when you as outside counsel um, need to get answers quickly or, or need approval to do something, you know where to turn and you know, you know that those folks are, are, are focused on, um, on the incident and uh, how they're handling it. So I, I think those are, those are some of the key things. I don't know if you've got others on, on your checklist or you know, what, what you think we should ask right out of the gate. Yeah, the insurance panel one is important. It, but And I think those one of the kind of discussions we often have with clients in that circumstance is, is this a breach where it is in your interest to either have counsel that you've worked with for many years who knows your business versus is this more of a 
I hate to say this word, but like a commodity type breach, right? Where like you can have somebody parachute in and really help you just kind of walk through what you need to do to handle the breach notice. And sometimes what we've had is we've often done both where we will we will uh, work with uh, panel counsel just depending on what the issues are. So yeah, no, that's those are really good points. Um, I think having that core team within the client and knowing depending on the facts of the breach, who are we working with? And also giving that reminder, we love our email and we love Slack and we love communicating, but really kind of tightening that circle of who is in the communication loop and how we are going to communicate. Um, so many times it's so fluid, right? With the facts, like they're calling us, they've got the barest sketch of facts. They're obviously more information is coming in. And how do you want to avoid creating emails that say there's a breach and, and all sorts of conc legal conclusions or, or things that could, you know, somebody could hold on to that may in fact not actually be accurate based on the facts. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. And, you know, every organization is filled with human beings and it's very natural to want to communicate uh, about urgent events like, like a security breach or a security incident. So, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, you know, you are where you are when, when an incident happens, but if you sort of start to work backwards and think about ways that uh, maybe companies should, should be preparing or um, having measures in place so that, you know, when something happens, the first instinct isn't to send a broad email saying, uh-oh, um, you know, what, what are some ways to, to, keep a closer rein or tighter rein on those types of communications in the early stages of an incident. Right, which I know we're gonna focus on breaches, but one of those just data security 101 things is working with the business to know what's their escalation path, right? We, I mean, there are constant um, things that don't qualify as a breach that the InfoSec or, or security team is gonna be handling on a routine basis. But what, what are the kinds of facts that we essentially put a trigger to pull in legal and have that discussion so it is still early on, but they're not with every kind of business-related issue going to legal when, when that might be too much noise to, to escalate at that point. And, and then I think, um, you know, similarly, once we sort out issues about insurance and which firm is going to be doing what, um, do you have any advice or, or guidance on um, sort of how best to use outside counsel um, in, in a, a breach response or incident response situation? In some ways, you're a taskmaster, taskmaster, project manager, but I, I think mostly how can you get everybody to focus given the limited amount of time on what they need to know at the right moments so that the client is able to best manage its obligations and mitigate risk. And there's a bunch of factors, right? You know, you're we're laser focused on here are the facts I need to know, the who, what, why, when, broken down of individuals by state to the extent they have it. And I mean, those, the types of things that as outside counsel working with in-house counsel to, is there a breach, right? Have we, have we actually triggered the notification laws and in what way and as to what data? So then to your point on the notification letter, we actually 
know, have the information that we both need to know, have we triggered it and what to say in that communication. And I think, you know, sometimes, um, obviously when you're prepping with clients in advance and doing the tabletops, that's part of an incident response policy. But when you're in the thick of it, sometimes, you know, there, there's a lot of facts and they're all can be disturbing. And so how do you focus in on this part of it as opposed to kind of overall enterprise risk from, from the incident? And um, as, as facts accumulate, um, as you know, an investigation goes on, how do, how do you sort of start to think about um, applying that to the next phase of, of the response, you know, specifically um, determining where to send letters, to whom to send letters, what to put in them? Um, and then I think a, an important question of, you know, do you need to get a report of any type that tells the story of, of what happened and sort of uh, formalizes that? So what, what are some of the considerations there? I think we constantly have to do risk assessment. And part of the way I, I know we both analyze it is, is this one of the run-of-the-mill, smaller kind of breaches? They're unfortunate, but we've got our process and it's not likely to, to really get too many legs. It can be very, very much contained, not a lot of harm versus are there enough plus factor facts here that actually make this one a much stickier, messier breach, right? Do we involve more, are there more parties involved? Is um, what kind of data, what kind of sensitive data is, is there health information um, kind of thinking, of, is this a mega breach? And, and I think you need to know that early on. And that's why those frequent check-in in the era of um, COVID, you know, the virtual meetings to do those check-ins, because as you're getting the facts, that can very much change the way that you are looking at that breach and where the advice to the, to the company on how it wants to handle this, right? Um, and so I think that, that that is really important just to bucket it in the right way um, and then have some target dates, you know, based on the information, look, we want to, we want to really be ready to go by X date and get comfortable with, we may not have all the facts. In fact, more likely than not, we will not have all the facts. And so sometimes the client is really thinking too of, is this a situation where we do an initial notice that's not going to necessarily meet all of our legal obligations, but it, it goes with the brand, it's transparency, we're going to get ahead of the media, which might uh, potentially be covering it. And we don't want to be reactive to that. So I think just thinking through what do we know? Can we notify? Should we notify? And what does that look like? Um, thinking, you know, Aaron, when you're working with a client and they have those incomplete facts, what's the advice that you would give, you know, as they're weighing, is this the right time to do notice where we might have actually a whole bunch of more insights? And I know we'll get into the forensic reports as well, but just that those judgment based calls that you have to make. Yeah, you know, it it depends a lot on the facts, obviously, but, I, you know, I, I think that it also, as you say, requires constant risk assessment and, and really having a feeling for um, how, how the um, signs of an incident um, became apparent. I've worked on some where you know, it, th there's a suspicion that payment card information is, is involved and maybe there's a report from a third party. And once you start diving into it, um, you might be able to pick apart, like th there might be something else going on. And 
in that type of situation, you you might um, start to think about, you know, was was this really what happened? You know, was the initial report really accurate? Was it something that happened on our systems? Um, so I think that's uh, one path that that might um, might be available at some point. So, you know, you can have things at the other um, end of the spectrum where as the forensic analysis continues, you might find that more and more stuff happened and that, you know, you might be in a better position if you do that initial notice, um, be transparent and then, you know, keep working on it so that you, you um, are getting information out to individuals and other affected stakeholders so they can respond. And, um, you know, you, you just can't find everything out um, within that period of time. Yeah, those are, those are really good points. Kind of, we circle back to the forensic report though. Um, and I'm, there's a lot of questions that can come up on that topic, but let's start with, Client has on that insurance panel a list of approved vendors and the way based on at least the initial facts of the breach you have, the take the scenario where the client says, can you recommend a particular vendor? And I know that we look at it in, in the same way that you'd hire a different lawyer, depending on the kinds of issues. Some of these forensic vendors have, they all can handle the breach, but there are different kinds of breaches. You might go to one versus the other. Maybe can you talk through what are some of those discussions when it, that you would have with each of the vendors in, in trying to figure out um, for a particular incident, right? Who might be the best fit if the client wants to have a call with a few of them to decide the right match, if they've got the luxury of time to do that. Yeah, no, I think I think it is important um, and you, you can really learn a lot by, by talking to at least two different vendors, ideally three, um, you know, realistically you might not have time for much more than that, but I think you want to talk about um, the initially suspected scope of the breach and um, whether that's something the, the vendor's comfortable with. I think you want to talk about the types of systems that are involved and you might have a very different set of options if you're, um, dealing with a payment card system, for example, versus um, a, a more general web platform versus physical media. Um, those are all going to be really important distinctions um, and factors to take into account when you're selecting a vendor. And then I, I think things like whether any sort of on-site uh, investigation or analysis is required or whether they, the, the vendor can analyze things um, entirely remotely, how familiar they are with the specific platform or platforms that were affected, um, and just getting a sense for their experience in dealing with the same general fact pattern that, um, that, that goes along with, uh, with the breach. I, I think those are um, the, the main questions that, that you know, I would ask in, in sounding out different vendors and whether they're a right, the right fit for, for a given incident. Those are definitely the questions that I had. I, I think part of maybe one more that I would add is who's the team on the vendor side? Because we've there are some vendors that I've have had great experiences with, but even within that vendor, depending on the team that gets put, or if it ends up being a rotating team, you know, in a time of high breaches, 
you may not get the luxury to choose the people that you know at that vendor, right? And so just thinking through when you're doing those pitches, is the team presenting itself? Is that the team that you're going to be working with? It's so just you have a seat. Is this a relation? Is, is this a rapport that, that works? Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Uh, certainly under under the uh, demanding circumstances of a breach, having that familiarity um, and sense of, of how the team works um, yeah. can, can be really important. So I, I was thinking that maybe we should um, uh, talk a little bit more about um, getting the facts together and making this decision about do we notify now and send a supplemental notice later um, or, you know, try to wait um, and, until maybe later than we were initially comfortable using as, as a, um, a decision point? Could you tell us what your thoughts are on making that calculation and some of the drawbacks to supplemental notification and some of the benefits of, of going that route if, if you have a choice about it. Yeah, it's, you know, some of it's practical, right? Like, do you even have the information yet to be able to notify, right? Like, let's say part of it, um, we've had ones where there's forensic analysis of systems and you just don't yet have the universe that you're going to notify yet, right? You know that there's a, a bunch of data, but it's it's really winnowing down. So there there's that. Um the other side, I, I guess I think about that, just that the brand and transparency and and knowing from when you first discovered, what does that story look like? How long is that time? Do you need to, you know, does the, do the facts really weigh in having at least a short statement or preparing with a reactive statement if you know you're not going to be able to send out notice with something more substantive, right, for another couple of weeks? Um you know, those are all pretty important. I think that there, there's a difference, too, with some of these credential breaches, the credential stuffing, where you've got an email, usually you write the login and password and mitigation, right? You can you might want to do a, a force a password reset that doesn't have all the, the breach notification content, but at least you've mitigated it, right? You've sent out and you, you force the password and then maybe, you know, a few days later, you, you might do the notice that you actually have to do there if you've determine it's a breach. Um, it's that you're always dealing with the imperfection. And I think it's one of those things where of the choices, what's the least worst option that is, is right by the company in terms of mitigating its risk and maintaining its relationship with its, with its audience, customers, employees, you know, depending on who that is. Um, Aaron, when you're working in that circumstance, what are some of the challenges that the clients may present on why they're, you know, the the pushback they get on actually issuing notice and, and how do you walk them through that decision tree? Well, I, I think that um, in weighing when to notify, whether to do an initial notification, um, you know, one of the main sources of concern that I've seen come up is that uh, there's a, a really strong tendency to, you know, just want to do it once and, and get it over with. And I think that's really understandable. You want it to be as clean a resolution as possible and um, maybe not um, uh, wet the appetite of, of um, you know, regulators or uh, 
plaintiff's lawyers to say, hey, there's something going on. We don't have all the facts that may be a sign that uh, the, the company is, you know, doesn't have its house in order. And that sort of um, uh, might, might create more attention or, or the concern that um, you're going to be more of a target for, um, for an investigation or a lawsuit. So um, I think there's that t- type of concern and, you know, whether that's with the core team that's making operational decisions in the breach response or, um, you know, if that's a board concern, you know, those are things that sort of come into play. Um, but yeah, I'd say like the main thing is, um, you know, this is kind of a living nightmare for, for um, everyone involved in it in the company. And part of what gets you through that sometimes is, is um, seeing a discrete end uh, of, of the incident in time. Um, so I, I think that's, that's sort of what's at play when, um, uh, when folks are, are, are working through that type of consideration. So you've, you've figured out your population, you've got your consumer notice letter kind of teed up, ready to go. What are some of the other things that you are walking the client through to make sure that we are, we have the information and we can follow through with? Uh, you know, I, I think other things that come into play are um, starting to think about regulator notifications and um, how you would present the story of, of what happened during the incident if um, if there's uh, interest by a state AG, uh, for example. So um, starting to to have that story constructed is is important. You know, thinking about if you put this incident in perspective with others that we've worked on, things that have led to lawsuits. You know, what how does it stack up against those types of risks? Um, and then also thinking about going forward in terms of customer relationships, you know, is this something that is likely to have impact on the brand and, you know, might be something where you you may need to try to address those types of issues, or is it really more in the, on the side of things where it was unfortunate, um, you know, could have been a natural disaster. It could have been something like that that led to the need to notify. And it's just more likely to sort of be viewed in, in that light of, of, you know, stuff happens sometimes. And, um, you know, we, we have a pretty solid story to explain why that is. Um, but the, so, so that, um, you know, I think does lead me to, to the question of, say that the, maybe the facts aren't great in terms of what was going on before the incident or, or how it happened. And, you know, you're a little concerned that there might be a closer look by a regulator. Um, how, how, how do you start thinking about that? When do you start thinking about it? Um, and um, how, how does that maybe affect anything that you do or decisions that you recommend as the incident response goes on? So the facts are never great. I mean, that's that's why we have a breach. But I think we've certainly been in those circumstances where the client, for example, may not have had a written information security plan, um, but had really good tight processes. And that's 
it, that allowed it, it to, to help mitigate some of the risk. So I look at it from, from the point at which we could make good decisions. Did we make good decisions? Like lean in on the responsible party um, so that we have a pretty robust story to say, look, we took care of it and we did the right thing. And we did the right thing. And sometimes that means being more generous in certain ways in terms of mitigating the risk for consumers. It means being more transparent um, in terms of the communication, thinking about what that reactive statement looks to the media, because everything you say is going to be monitored on, you know, was it accurate uh, if there is regulator review? So I think from the regulator investigations on data breaches that we've had that we've gotten closed, right, without a settlement, so much of the emphasis there really seemed to kind of where there was discretion by the agencies as did the company do the right thing? Um, and it really did identify the relevant universe and it followed through with its obligations. And look, it also took a look back to say what was the root cause of this incident and took a number of reasonable steps to prevent that type of vulnerability from reoccurring. And I think that's really the story you need to be able to say. I mean, we have it usually in the notice letter, there's some general statement that says, and we've taken steps to prevent this from reoccurring, but the rubber hits the road and what did you really do? And and what what is learned from the, that mistake, so to speak, and um, and make the program even that much more robust. Um, yeah, no, I think I think those are are great um, great suggestions, and you know it does sort of also suggest that after the uh, dust settles after an incident, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to learn from it in in a systematic way that that the company can kind of apply and incorporate into its more general practices and. Uh, that that um, is sometimes hard to do because attention focuses elsewhere. But uh, but I think that is important and and sort of brings us full circle to thinking about the world before the breach. And as you were saying, what sort of incident response plan is there? How do things get escalated? Uh, how do those issues get classified so that we know how to deal with them in um, in the heat of a, a, a difficult situation. So, um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a cliche to say that there is a life cycle aspect to um, to data management, but I think that's that's part of of what we see as um, you know as we get to the point where the worst is behind us, and you know what can we take away from an incident to um, to try to you know, improve the program or improve the systems that we have in place. Yeah, and some of that's low-hanging fruit, right? Uh, you can have your template consumer notice letter that's already baked in your branding style and tone of communication. You can have your draft FAQs that there's some of that stuff that's not going to change, right, in terms of instructions to consumers or employees and how they can monitor the reports and prevent fraud. You can have your 50 state charts uh, that are updated. Uh, you know, the states really do like to amend their data breach notification laws periodically and are very nitpicky on making sure that consumer notice has all of the specific things. So I mentioned earlier, companies would prefer not to send a supplemental notice. Well, all the more reason to get in those, those uh, uh, 
tweaks and changes that happen year to year because we've certainly heard from AG offices that will require you to, to resend the notice if you don't have that one piece of information they just added to their law. So a good reminder to keep those fresh. Um, so kind of closing out, Aaron, you were at the FTC and kind of maybe kind of with that, with all of this, you know, company has a breach, they've taken some steps. What were some of your observations with a regulator mindset on in terms of how breaches are looked at by companies um, and how the company handles the breach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that there was some emphasis uh, in evaluating uh, companies' security programs, you know, sort of what was in place before the breach and determining whether that was reasonable as well as the response itself. Um, A rough dividing line of like, was this the result of a systemic problem within the company or was it, you know, maybe preventable, maybe not, mostly unfortunate and something that uh, the company really was well positioned to to um, prevent it didn't, but then you know was able to bring in um, uh, all the elements of of uh, incident response to mitigate, um, reduce the amount of damage, and and recover. So I think that you know that's uh, a really important story to be able to tell, and um, one that you know is certainly not guaranteed to make an investigation go away, but, you know, I think it, it provides kind of the best shot at, uh, at, at that outcome or, you know, reducing the uh, relief that an agency would seek um, to, to settle a matter. So I, th- I think that's, that's the way I saw things from inside the FTC. That's helpful. Good, good perspective. So with that, I think we will close this out uh, for folks who want to see more. You can go to Kelly Dry's Ad Law Access podcast, your other podcasts, our blog, adlawaccess.com. And then on kellydry.com at the footer, we've got our Advertising and Privacy Law Resource Center, which has more information. So thank you. This was fun. Thank you. Great to talk with you.